0: Let's take a moment and bow our heads to the Lord. Oh, holy heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have the opportunity to study thy word. And, oh, heavenly Father, we are mindful that words are important to you and to the Father. We thank you and acknowledge your presence with us this morning, and that we know that you will hear all words spoken. And we ask and pray, Lord. That you, would, oh, that you would provide for us all the words that are needed to be spoken. Give us a better understanding, O Heavenly Father, of what you have in store for us. And might we walk from this room uh, enlightened with a better understanding of what it means to say yes or no in our daily walk in this life. This, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might have been expecting to see Tom, Brother Tom, and unfortunately, uh, uh, do I see Brother Tom or not? Uh, Brother Tom didn't uh, complete this, um, couldn't complete this, and I appreciate the the opportunity. I was asked several weeks ago to kind of take over, and uh, so that's what I've done. And uh, please bear with me. Uh, it's, uh, It's always been a work in progress, and the good Lord will provide, I'm quite sure the gist of what we want to talk about today is this Amos in 5:2 says or Amos 3:2 says this Can two walk together except they be agreed And Amos was talking to Israel and Judah as a people Can you walk together unless you are agreed And that really defines an overview of what I want to talk to you about today. All right, it's the theme of what we're talking today, and that'll conjure up all kinds of different images in your mind. I'm quite sure, but it's exactly what it is. This is a very simple concept, and it comes uh, it comes from uh, you know obviously what Jesus said, and we're going to go to that right now. But I want to read what uh, Doctor Stephen Lawson said. At the Baptist Convention, he was asked this question at the Baptist Convention. I'm going to, I'm going to quote him. Dr. Lawson is a, uh, is a, is a pastor uh, for 40 years and uh, currently is a preacher at Trinity Bible Church in Dallas. So he says this. In the verses that precede Matthew 3.37, Jesus said that you are not to swear by heaven or earth. Got to do this that you're not to swear by heaven or earth. And James 5:12 echoes that as well. The Pharisees were trying to play an end run game and not to use the name of God. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and other passages say that if you swear by God's name and fail to do what you are swearing, then there would be condemnation upon you. To swear by heaven or earth is a spiritual sounding way to get around using God's name. Such as such that it gives you an escape clause to not carry out what you are pledging to do. Jesus said, Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that there would be an integrity about your words, about your words and the commitments that you make. There can be exceptions to the rule. For example, if you were to say uh, to your children, Let's go play golf tomorrow and it snows then uh, this this obviously changes the circumstances and make it reasonable that you would not play golf in sub-freezing weather or in a snowstorm. Circumstances changing can have an effect, but by and large, you should be a person of integrity. Psalms 51, Psalms 15 and Psalm 24 both pose the question, who may come to to the Lord's holy hill and who may come into fellowship with God. Interestingly enough, there are only five or six distinguishing marks of the one who is welcome into God's presence to have fellowship with him. One of those distinguishing marks is that you do not swear with deceit. You do not present something to someone falsifying your commitment so that you have an escape. There are many verses that need to be brought to bear upon answering the question, but the idea is that you would not change your word for personal gain, that you would be willing even to suffer if the commitment you made is now going to cost you more than you realize. What's a promise? I have the definition right in here, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, because we understand what a promise is, but there's an awful lot of words underneath it that you need to look at. And basically, we're going to spend a little bit of time going through some of those words today, and to see how that is played out in the Bible. I think it's really important for us to understand those things. I want to bring your attention to one thing, is that a promise can be conditional or unconditional. When God promised his chosen people that they would be blessed what did he do? He put a condition that they had to be obedient. And there is still a promise in that. And that's really important for us to understand that. When we take this stuff, this we take this passage up at our baptisms, and we take about two minutes to go through it. And we basically, I think we actually take it as a sign of obedience that we ought not to swear, and then we, we find out the uh, the way to out is to, to a given affirmation. But I'm going to talk to you today about the words yes and the word no and how we just simply use them in our everyday. And sometimes the word yes and no shouldn't be used. This is an example of a, of a conditional promise. It talks about the laws written in Moses. And, and the condition was that you had to take heed in the way that you walked. And it's important for us to realize that that was part of the condition. What happened to the, what happened to the children of Israel? Did they walk? Did they do the things that, was, that were asked them? You can say yes or no. Okay. Go ahead. No, they, no. They, they did not. Yeah, And what happened as a result of that? What was the end result? What was the end game, as this Dr. Lawson talked about? What was the end game? And Amos was talking about it. Israel and Judah split, and what happened eventually was the destruction of the temple. There's no, you know, so obviously when God had cho- chose the people and he spoke to the people, he gave the promise but they couldn't keep the promise. They committed to the promise, but they couldn't keep the promise. One of the, we have lots of words for you know, swearing, uh, saying an oath, uh, a vow, all these other words that you would have saw up there, but the word in Hebrew is this, Shabbat. And it's interesting because it says, it means to complete. The word Shabbat means to complete. It means that if you make a promise, you are bound to complete it. If you make a vow, you are bound to complete it. And very often they use this this idea of seven, to to seven oneself. In other words, you're responding to the declaration seven times. Seven times. An example of a declaration, by the way, and we'll take it up a little later, is that God made a declaration to what? To all of us, when his son was baptized. What was the declaration? Anybody know the declaration? Made by God at the time of his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The second declaration, though, given at the Transfiguration, slightly changes. And we need to pay attention to the words. This is my son in whom I am well pleased Hear ye him. Hear ye him. That's the declaration that God gave us in the New Testament. All right? That we need to hear what Jesus says and we need to speak the words that Jesus speaks. And that's really, really important for us to get that and to understand that going forward. By the way, anybody here? Anybody made a vow? Anybody make, make, make a vow here? Anyway, Put your hands up if you've made a vow. Okay, everything went well? You completed it? You're working, okay, we're working on it, okay. All right, that's good. All right. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to tell me what your vow is. We're not, here, we're not here to be judgmental, but the point of it is that should we commit in making a vow? Should we? What's the answer? Yes. Amen. Yes, we should. We make that commitment what? In our baptism. We make that commitment. We make that commitment at camp. And we're going to talk about the difference between a covenant and a commitment. The key is, you've got to complete it. You've got to complete it. And this is what, what, this is what is spoken in Numbers. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Now we, uh, yep, going the wrong way. Okay, I've kind of lost it. Sorry about that. Gotta be careful when you push the buttons, they're very close. According to all that procedures out of his mouth. So, with a mouth, you say, you say things, and you're going to know by the end of the day how serious that is. We don't take it serious, but it's very serious. All right? And we're going to see just how serious that could be. I'm going to give you some other examples that I've just picked out, randomly picked out. I'm sure you have others that, that are there. Hannah's Val. Prayed for a child, and what did she do? Exactly. She gave that child to Samuel to be raised, right? Jacob obtains a vow from Joseph. The key for me is it's interesting here, we see this happening, okay? And he says, uh, he puts his, I don't know where it is. I pray thee thy hand under my thigh. And what we're going to see is that there's very often things that are done alongside a vow that means something to each person in the vow that represents the vow. And that's really, really important for us to understand, because they, those things are like a witness, like a witness to the vow. It's like a witness to the vow. Here is an example of it, and why we picked it up. I was just kind of tickled with this one. So, what, what happens here? Jacob and Laban, they make a vow, and what God is a witness, first of all, he says that God is a witness between betwixt you and me. Every vow you make, whether you use the name of God or not, <laughs> he's a witness. Why is he a witness? God is all-knowing, and more than that, why is he a witness? Come on. Yeah, no, God's spirit is with you. God is with us. And hence the reason why you don't need to swear. I don't need to swear because God is with me. Everything I say should be? True. True. And we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. But this, what, what happens here is this. He, he says we want to put a heap, a heap of stones. So they, they gather this heap of stones and make this big heap, and that's the sign of the witness. So lots of things are done to give us a symbol of the vow that could be made. And then there's a negative side to vows. Vows are not always just a positive thing. What happens here with Peter? He denies Christ. And he, what does he do? He begins to, whoops, here we do it again. I know not the man. I know not the man. He denies the man. And at the very end, what did he do? When he contemplated what happened, he wept. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing. Move along here to a covenant. The important thing... Is in a covenant. What's a covenant, by the way? Let's just read what it is. Have you, you you're, you're, obviously you make covenants, you make promises, you make covenants. What does it take in a covenant to have a covenant between parties? What does it take? Agreement. An agreement. Or a contract. I'm in the real estate business. I deal with contracts all the time. People come to come to some kind of agreement and even very often there's conditions there's there's various different things all right so a covenant is an agreement a covenant can be verbal yes brother oh you're just just stretching okay no problem as part of the part what's this is the big part as part of the covenant the two parties agree that certain activities will or will not be carried out if we make a covenant with God, and we make a commitment to God. Is a commitment a covenant? Can be, but is it? Is it? Is a commitment a covenant? Okay, is it? Okay, so what has to happen if it's going to become a covenant? You're committing yourself. It's a one-way deal. What's absent from it? The confirmation from the other party. So when we make a covenant, when we have the baptism, the testimony, we're saying you're entering into a covenant today, and what's going to be happening to be the witness of the covenant? What is the witness of that covenant in your baptism day? It's a seal, the Holy Spirit's seal. He becomes the witness. He becomes the witness to the covenant that you made. And sometimes we forget that that witness walks with us every single day and every moment of the day. Do we give God's Spirit enough of us? Do we give God's Spirit enough of us? Is the covenant that we made. The covenant that we made that day, is it being kept? Here's an example of several covenants. We all know one of the most wonderful covenants because we see an example of that when? When? After a rain. After a rain, we see a? Rainbow. Come on, you guys know the answers, come on. It's It's not a trick question, right? We're not tricking you here, we're not tricking you. Yeah, what, what did he say? Destruction is not going to come on the earth and I'm going to show you through a bow, we call it a rainbow, that that's not going to be the case. Now, does that mean there's not flooding? Well, Of course there's flooding. But the whole earth will not be destroyed by a flood. And that's what this says here. We're not going to spend much time on it. you can look it up if you wish to do so. God's covenant with Abraham. We know that that he'll be blessed and multiply. We know that those things. And 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 this is what this is a really really important for us to understand. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them curse him that curses thee. And in all these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families of the earth, not just Abraham. All the families of the earth be blessed. And they're also under that covenant. Joshua's covenant with God's chosen people. Remember when he said, my house and I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He makes the covenant. And what did he do with the children of Israel? He asks them if they want to share in that same covenant. What do they do? What do they say? They agreed, they said, yes, yes. Major, a major yes, a major yes. I deal with contracts. I deal with them all all the time, every day. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And I want to just show you this part. Whoops, sorry. I'm having trouble with that thing, aren't I? These are four elements of a contract that need to be there to make it a contract. You have to have mutual assent or consent. You've got to to express a valid offer and acceptance by both parties. Adequate consideration, capacity, and legality. So you have to be credible, okay? You have to have credit, you have to be able to do this. These guarantees are always used in in governments and all the kinds of other documents, and they're absolutely, Definite, definite. Absolute. Contracts are absolute. A lot of people go to court over contracts. I'll give you an example Example contract that just happened in, in Alberta. A farmer wants to see, he grows a barley crop, many, many acres of barley. He's got bushels that he harvests and he puts it in a storage container and he wants to sell it, but as farmers do, very often I want to wait to get the highest, highest price per bushel for my barley. A buyer comes, calls him up and says, listen, I want to buy your barley. He says, well, you know, I'll consider you to sell it to you, but I really want to wait to get the highest price for my barley. Okay, great. Seller seller says, or buyer says, fine, we'll, 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 we'll get back. I'll come back to you price goes up a little bit, buyer calls him back and says, would you sell me the barley now? He goes, I'll consider it, and he puts an emoji like this. Goes to court, because they don't agree. One says, I wasn't selling it, I was just considering it, I was giving you the hands up because I wanted to consider it. Court said, no. An emoji means a yes. You considered it, you sell it to him for that price. That's a court case. That's a court case. The judge decided that a yes was this. Was this. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, we talk about a covenant Really, really important for us to understand it. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. What's the difference? I don't, I don't want you to read all that. It's there for your... If you want to try to pick it up and read it, I try to highlight parts of it. We're not, we don't have time to go through a lot of these slides, so I do apologize that we're running through them. All right? What, what happens in the New Testament? What's the difference in the Covenant between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Okay, yeah. It's defined a bit different. In John, First John five, it talks about three agree. Three things, if you want to call them things, they're really people and, and things. Three, three things agree. What are those three things? The Father, the word and the Holy Ghost. They agree. In three. Now, when we talk about the Spirit, and we will in just a moment, we have to understand that all those three are agreeing, and we are what? Spirit-led. We have the Holy Ghost. And sometimes we don't think about the, that the Holy Ghost is with us when we do our walk and when we do our talk. But guess what? He is he's there? It's pretty serious. This is what Isaiah already started saying to, prof- to profess that we are going to be priests of the Lord. We are priests of the Lord, called a minister, and we go on. We 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 go through this. We know the taking of taking communion and everything else actually cements that on a regular basis for us. God saw that we needed a new covenant. He gave his son to be that covenant for you and me. And his son gave his life. Because why? Why did he give his life for you and me? I think, although it's not recorded, that being the Son of God, he had made a covenant with the Father, that no matter what, he would take on the sins of the world, knowing full well, and that's really important, we know everything about it, knowing full well that the Father would have to turn away from him at that moment in time, because he could not look on sin. Knowing full well, and we know that that played out. Uh, let me. That we know that that played out before. When. When did that really play out? In the Garden of Gethsemane. It's recorded there. Read it, and get a sense of that. We should be reading that over and over again. It's a poignant moment. It's a poignant moment. In the Gospels. Let's talk about this. We go back to swearing. (laughs) He makes a promise, and then he could not swear by any greater. He swore by himself. An oath of confirmation. Why could God do this, and we can And the answer is right here. Because he's greater than us. He's greater than us. We can't swear by God. Why, why shouldn't we swear by God? God is with us. God walks with us. We don't need to swear when God walks with us. And that's really important. Understand the why behind, behind the 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 obedience factor you know yes you make sure your yes is a yes and your no is a no understand why you are you're going to be able to be obedient that's really really important okay so I said well listen I thought well but God's immutable is by the way what's God's uh, uh, we'll go back to the slide what's God the immutability of God resting on His divine nature and what What's that? Can you read it for me? I'll do it again. In which it was impossible for God to lie. I'm thinking, well, okay, God can't lie. Let's see what people are like. (laughs) Now, I'm amazed at this study, by the way. I mean, who could possibly do this? In a study of, there was 11,366 lies in this study over 91 days. 75% 75% of the survey respondents told zero to two lies a day. And they think, that, I changed this up, by the way. I said, that's a lot of lies. The fellow said, that's not bad. The guy who surveyed said, hey, that's not bad. Two lies a day. That's not bad. <laughs> can you think of this? If I have the guy that's doing the survey, how can I get that many people, 630 people, to respond to my survey daily, for 91 days, admitting that they lied each day. Who does that? And yet, this is a study conducted in 2022 by Soudner is his name. i highlighted just a few of the things. At four years of age, 90% of kids will understand the meaning of lying. Between two and three-year-olds, are the average ages for when a ch- child tells their first lie. So if you think that your children are exempt, ah, oh, I don't think so, I don't think so, okay. Parents are the primary are the primary victims of lying with 86% of the lies being told to them. And you can go through the list in the workplace. Uh, Well, I do it again. (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm doing this thing. On the average, every day, every day, not, you know, in a week, not in a month, every day, six lies. a day. Now think about it, 91 days, 91 days is 365 days. You had 11,360 with this group do the multipliers. Multiply that by 10. Multiply it by 100 more people. And we have what, 378 million people in the United States? 40 million in Canada? Do the multipliers, folks. We take the juxtaposition of God who can't lie to who? The people. And we go back to Israel and we say, oh, you guys, what, what, are you messing up? You're messing up on a regular basis. Who's messing up? We are. We are. Absolutely messing up. I put this, you know, I was actually a little embarrassed when I did this, by the way, because I, I take God's, you know, I have this line with God's immunity of God and then I follow it up with a chart that talks about lying. God versus the people. If that doesn't rock your boat, I don't know what needs to be done. But it's quite amazing. And that's not an old slide, that's a relatively new slide. And basically, the surveyor was saying, that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. God warns us about deception. I took this because I thought it's a great, great thing for us to see this. And what are we talking about here? All right. Talks about, but they that deal truly are his delight. There's a reward to being truthful that God wants to see us in. He wants us to see us be truthful. Okay, and we're going to show you some reasons behind it momentarily. I want to give you another story. I had a guy in my office, I, I said i was real estate sales, and I get a salesman of mine that comes in my office one day and he says to me, Frank, I just can't stop lying. Now, you know, if somebody walks in your office and says that to you and you're the boss, like, you're kind of taken aback a little bit. So I, pardon me for the response maybe that I had, but I'm thinking, whoa! Uh, Wait a minute, you work for me, you're out there lying, is that good for our reputation (laughs) or anything else about us? That's not really great. Then I looked at him and said, well, and I can say his name because he's passed on, Bob, the only thing I can think about right now, I don't know how I can help you not to lie. Do You have a church in your background. Oh, I'm Catholic. I'm Catholic. And I said to him, okay, well, the best place for you to start with the lying habit is to go to the priest of your church that you probably haven't visited for a while. And he did that. Sincerely, he did that. And he thanked me for it later. Not sure the lying changed that much. didn't dig into that deep. Because six months later, he was no longer with us. True story. God will deal with deception without question. If you are a deceiver, he will deal with you and he may deal with you instantaneously. He may not wait. He may not wait. We need to speak the truth only. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow into up into Him, into Him in all things, and we. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Who's the neighbor? As, as, as the Lord Jesus has asked, who's your neighbor? It's everybody. You don't get it off because he happens to be somebody else or she happens to be somebody else. Here's really, really. One of the things I wanted to point out, I did a talk a while back on words, and words do matter. And I want to point this out. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. What does that mean to you? Serious thought. Pardon? Serious thought. Serious thought. Who said that? Jesus Christ, he said, that's what he said. He said, yeah, if you're, idle, if you're giving out idle words, let's forget about lying. We're talking idle words here. We haven't got to the lying stage yet. And then this is another one that we sometimes pass over. The, the moment of this John 4, by the way, is that this is when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And we very often don't say the very last line, we just wrap it up before that, but this is what he says in 424. Okay, we'll go to, right to that. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God gave you a spirit. Why did he give you the spirit? Because he wants you to worship him in spirit. You can't do it on your own. The New Covenant doesn't allow that, doesn't provide for that. You can't do it on your own. You just can't do and be obedient and do the things that you're supposed to do every day without approaching God and speaking to God in spirit to be able to worship him and to also be truthful. Because you see, remember the old story? God can't lie. He's not going to let you lie if you listen to the Spirit of God given to you, He won't let you lie. But do we rely on the Spirit in the moment, in the moment of the conversation? Do we do we rely on God in the moment of the agreement? Do we take it to Him first to decide whether we should or whether it should? What does that cause us to do? It should cause us to pause and think about what has to be said in the moment. At least a pause. What? To confer with the spirit given to you. So the spirit gives you direction in what to say, and what to agree to. It's really, really important. Truth matters. I'm not going to spend much time. We're going to be uh, Short of, I want to get you out on time. Truth matters. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. When I did this little uh, talk a while back, and you can see it, in, you can see it in Revelations. We were talking about Ephesians, about taking on the armor of God, and I had the, the last couple of verses with prayer, and it says that he said basically that it is the word. And we talked about he talks about the mouth, the sword of the mouth. What does the sword of the mouth mean? The sword of the mouth is in Revelations. He comes in judgment under the sword of the mouth, your mouth. Interestingly, when Isaiah was talking uh, and he saw the seraphims and everything else, and I think we had that up there, when I saw the seraphims and everything, what was his first reaction when he saw all that? What did he say? Woe is me. Woe. He was in the presence of God. Woe is me. And what did he say after that? Unclean lips. Unclean lips. He went right to the lips. Iniquity in the lips. In the things we say. That was really an interesting thing. And what did the angel or the seraphim do? He took a hot coal and he placed it on his lips and he took the iniquity away. In the same symbolism, God, through his spirit, can take the iniquity away from what you say and what you agree to but he needs to be called on. He needs to be called on to do that. Truth matters. And here is an example of deception. What happened here? They, they held back. But is that the big problem here? That they held back? What they said? They, were, they tried to make it look like they had given their all. That's where the deception lies here. Not that they held back. They make they said, "Well, no, we've given you all of it." What is that besides holding back? It becomes a what? A lie. And who did they lie to? Who did they lie to? Didn't, Peter had no idea what they're going to bring, right? They weren't lying to Peter. Who did they lie to? They said God. God. And God took immediate action. And it scared, and all the people around were frightened and fearful. We have to take Jesus Christ's words seriously. It's really important for us to understand that, that, that we, we follow this. Jesus answered said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. The warnings that were given to us were given for our sake. Jesus Christ did that. Interesting, when Jesus was with Lazarus, I'm not sure if I got that slide. When Jesus was with Lazarus, and he raises him from the dead, he says to God in the moment, he says to him, I know that you've heard me. I know and believe that what you're going to do today. But I'm saying all these things about believing me for the sake of the people, for the sake of you and me. Why? Because the word is recorded for us as an example of the belief between God the Father and the Son. It's recorded. And he often said to the Father that I'm saying this. God knew that. But he needed to audibly say that in the, in, in the things that he said every day. I'm not going to spend more time on that. We'll move along because we're going to be running around. Sometimes words are important, but sometimes the unspoken word is even more important. And we have an example of that when Christ is being tried. And Pilate says to him, Hearest thou not many things... Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, I'm sorry about that. I think I'm really kind of messed up again. Well, wow, getting close to the end. And he says, Hearest thou not how many things... they I'm, I'm almost afraid to pay- push the little red thing anymore. Yeah. Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee. And what did he say? Nothing. Nothing. And why did he say nothing? No justification. No justifying why he wasn't saying anything. And so on and so forth. He basically said nothing. And why did he say nothing? Anybody want to answer a guess? Or, uh, I'm sorry, it shouldn't be a guess. An educated... The point of that? Didn't want to of argument with that. Okay. No. Nope. Pardon? It was prophesied. Absolutely. See, Jesus Christ knew the outcome. What more is there to talk about? If I know the outcome, I already know the outcome. I know the intention of those who are accusing me. I know all those things. We don't have that ability, my fellow believers. We always know the intention, even of our own fellow believers. But God, or Christ Jesus, did. He knew the intention. He knew the intention of those who were accusing him, and he knew that he had to take the path to the crucifixion. What was there to talk about? There wasn't anything to talk about. And sometimes in our circumstances we can't control the circumstances. And sometimes we ought not to try to control the circumstances. Sometimes we ought not to give an answer. There's a time when we ought not to speak. Ought not to speak. My, I give advice to my salespeople when we're in a legal situation, you don't speak anymore. Because its, got, it's, it's course has been Settled. You're going, you're, going, you're going to go to court. Or you're going to go to ethics. Or you're going to go to wherever you're going to go. But there ought not to be a lot of conversation about justifying my actions. Because that's where it's going to go. Stop talking. You, get to, you, go to, you, go to, you go to a lawyer, the lawyer's going to say the same thing. Stop talking. Why? Because we could just really be digging a deeper hole. Okay? I want to particularly point out this. If our heart doesn't condemn us in what we're saying and what we're doing, and we can't do a little check check thing all the time, like a computer, check, 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 check what I said. Back up and check what I said. What do we have to do is we have to depend on our heart. If our heart doesn't condemn us in the things that we're saying, all right, then we should be okay. But the check is I need to go into God's Word on a continuous basis to be sure that my heart doesn't condemn me. I need to know that the words that I speak are God's words and they're okay with Him. Do we do enough of that? Do we do enough of that in our life as we speak the words that we do to all of our neighbors, to all our friends, to those people in church, that we deal with day in and day out. Because you see, words matter. Words are tied to truth in God's eyes. And truth must always be spoken as best as you are able to do so. And that's really what it is. In there, by the way, is the completeness that we talked about. That completeness that completeness where the vow or the promise or whatever we talked about is completed because we've spoken the words of Christ to, to all those around us. Because we speak, whether you like to whether you want to believe this or not, you speak in the name of God the Almighty. Because you are his, you belong to God. You are his mouthpiece. That's why he wants us here on earth to be his mouthpiece, but respect the fact that that's exactly what you are, his mouthpiece, and take it seriously. Take it seriously, because you will come into judgment if you don't. Thank you for coming. Any questions? Probably not, but I appreciate you taking the time. I apologize for my antics with the slides.